This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Last Sunday night, I did a teaching on hindrances. I started on the hindrances to divine healing. Hindrances to divine healing. And uh, I had such a reaction to it. Such, so many people say, oh man, we never saw that before. That I've decided that I better teach it this morning. I talked to my pastors. Uh, if you're a pastor here, you're going to hear it again today. But I, I, I don't think you can hear this enough. And the particular area that I want to deal with is the area of judgment. You know, I had one of the leaders in our church send me a teaching by someone down in the city. I don't know who it is. They didn't have a name on it. They didn't take responsibility for it. But they sent this out. And it was basically saying this whole teaching was built around the fact that the whole issue, the crisis, the catastrophe, the the cyclone in Mozambique and Malawi and then swept through Zimbabwe and the Chimanimani area was the judgment of God. The judgment of God. God is angry at the nation of Zimbabwe and he's judging these people in the Chimanimani area. Now, I, I tell you what, it was a very well-constructed message and uh, you know, if you get on the wrong foundation, you can make the Bible say just about anything. But the truth of the matter is that we don't live in the era or the age right now of God's judgment. We're actually under God's grace. Jesus paid for your sins and Jesus went through the cross. There will be a day of judgment. I have to let you know there will be a day of judgment, but it's not right now. There will be a day when every man will be judged Today we're in the age that Jesus said is the age of the tares and the wheat growing together. <laughs> Tap your neighbor and say, are you a tare or are you a wheat? <laughs> the tares and the wheats are growing together. But judgment hasn't come yet. There will be a day that God will uproot the tares. And they will be judged and burned with fire and then he'll uproot the wheat. And then there will be a second judgment for all the wheat. And you'll be judged according to the words you speak and the actions that you've done in your life. But we're not in the age where these catastrophes are judgments. So I'd like to talk to you because, you know, if you don't get this straight in your theology, you're going to have a wrong impression of who God is. And you're going to have a really hard time receiving from God. Amen? So these are, I'm going to talk for in line of hindrances to divine healing, but this is just hindrances to faith towards God, to be honest with you. And, you know, it's seldom an easy path for you and I to make our way to divine healing. More often than not, it's because the path to divine healing or the path to the blessing of God are full of diversions. They're full of roadblocks. They're full of uh, things that are placed in our way by the devil. Not by God, but by the devil. To keep God's people from the blessing, the blessings of health, the blessings of prosperity, the blessings that God has already provided for us. And many of these roadblocks, many of these hindrances are really subtle and they're confusing to the believer. They're often based on traditions or superstitions or misquoted and misunderstood scriptures. 
So I, I want to examine some of these obstructions in order to assist you and believers in general to receive what has been purchased for them by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and is clearly depicted by the word of God. Somebody says, well, God sends sickness on people. And then they quote the scriptures of the Old Testament and they draw the conclusion that God is the source of sickness, that God is the source of disease, that God is the source of calamity. Scripture's like, and let's, let's look at these. Get your Bibles out today, because I want you to look at these. Because I'll tell you what, here's what happens so often. We sit here and we read it off the screen, but we forget to read it in our Bibles. I want you to read this in your Bibles. And you need to get this really straight, because it's going to help you immensely. Help you immensely. Exodus 15, verse 26 says this. Now listen to it. And let's read it at face value. It says, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Now, what does it say? Take the scripture at face value as written in the NASB or the King James Version of the Bible. You get the impression that it is God who puts sickness on people, wouldn't you? I will put none of the diseases upon you that I put upon the Egyptians. Is that what it says? Okay, just hold that in mind. Isaiah 45, 7. God says, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord that does these things. The King James Version says it this way. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. My goodness. Let's look at one more verse. Micah 1 and verse 12. For the inhabitants of Meroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. Now, I always believed that Evil came from the devil. I didn't know it came from God, did you? But yet these verses, these passages from the King James Version of the Bible seem to say that, hey, God does evil. God creates evil. God brings calamity. God puts sickness on us. Is that not what it says? Is that what it says? Well, these passages in the King James Version of the Bible do not give a true import or a true sense of what the original Hebrew says. Why? Because, and, 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 and even without that, just without studying, without going any further, we have to understand, we, I, just something inside of me knows that God doesn't create evil. I mean, he's not the author of evil because if he is the author of evil, if he's the creator of evil, then that makes him evil. Is that right? I mean, how can you be the creator of evil and not be evil? He's not evil. 
And where would God get evil from? Is there evil in heaven? Where God's at, is there evil in heaven? Where does God, where is God? So if God's in heaven and there's no evil there and Jesus is seated, where is he going to get the evil to do this? Just let's follow the logic of this. Now God permitted it to come, but he didn't create it. There's a Dr. Robert Young. He's a Greek and Hebrew scholar and he has written many books. One of his great books that most Bible scholars, most Bible students, I have a copy of it, is Young's Analytical Concordance. Uh, he also has a dictionary. And then he also has a book that's now out of print called The Hints to Biblical or Bible Interpretation. And in this book, he points out that in the original Hebrew, that these verbs in the particular verses that we're reading this morning are written in the permissive sense in the original language. Now, here's the problem. In English, we do not have a permissive tense, a permissive sense in the English language. And so we translated these verbs in the causative sense or the causative tense. Where it says in English, I will put none of these diseases upon thee that I have put on the Egyptian. The impression from the King James Version of the Bible is that it was God's plan and purpose to put sickness on the Egyptians. But the verbs in the permissive sense would read this way. I will permit none of the diseases upon thee that I have permitted upon the Egyptians. Doesn't that make a little bit difference in how we view this? We must also realize that the Bible is progressive in its revelation. You don't get the whole picture from the Old Testament. In fact, we have a little saying that I learned in Bible college that I teach around here. It says, the new is in the old contained, but the old is in the new explained. See, the New Testament is all in the Old Testament. You'll find everything. It all points to Jesus. But the Old Testament is kind of hidden because the revelation was different and only can you reveal what was really happening when you understand the New Testament, what happened at the cross of Calvary, what Jesus really did for us, what he purchased for us. So when you're looking at the Old Testament, just from Old Testament perspective, you realize they didn't have the fullness of revelation until Christ. It was all pointing to Christ. Then at the cross, everything is explained in the New Testament. We look back on the Old and say, oh, now I see what that was. Wow, that's amazing. They were types. They were shadows of what was to come. The New Testament is a revelation of who God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is God's express image, the exact representation of who God is. When Jesus walked the earth, the Bible says he was the express image of God. He was the exact representation of who God really is. I love that. So notice what the ministry of Jesus is. I, I said it earlier, but in Acts 10, verse 38, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. There's the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's the ministry of God on earth. God was with him. He was the express image of God, and what did he do? full of the Holy Ghost, 
went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed. How many did he heal? How many? Now, wait, 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 wait. Why didn't he just heal some and judge others? Why didn't he put sickness on some and heal others? Because the exact image of God was that God heals all. God is a good God. God's favor and his blessing is in the earth, his kingdom. You see, throughout the New Testament, you'll invariably find out that sickness is revealed as emanating from the devil. What this is saying is that Jesus healed all, all who were oppressed of the devil. And it really is saying that sickness and disease is caused by some kind of satanic oppression. Now, some people don't want to believe that, but the fact of the matter is, it's very hard to confront and fight the word of God. Luke 13 says this, verses 10 through 17. Go ahead and turn there. Luke Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had an infirmity, a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. A spirit of infirmity. Think about that. There was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. And was bowed together. And it could no wise lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, said unto her, woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said to the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, you hypocrite. Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all of his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Notice what the scripture says. It says, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years. Who bound the woman? You mean this wasn't a judgment of God? Lo, whom Satan hath bound for 18 years. You know, 1 John 3, 8 says this about Jesus. It says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came as the express image of God to destroy the works of the devil. Somebody just tap your neighbor and say, you know, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, the New Testament almost invariably calls sickness and disease the work of the devil, not the work of God. You know, even when it comes to the cause of sin or the cause of wrongdoing, Notice this. Look in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. This is an incredible story. It says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication, more immorality among you. And such fornication or immorality that is not as much as named amongst the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. 
his father's wife. Now, this is an amazing story. Evidently, there is a stepson who has taken his stepmother away from his father and is living with her in immorality, living with her in an adulterous situation, in open sin, in the church. Just happy day, see, kind of sounds like our church. Doesn't it? How many small houses are here? Excuse me? Ah, how many young ladies are trying to break up men's marriages? What do you call uh, their blessers? The blessers? Isn't that what you call them? Oh, let me tell you, they're not blessers. If you do that, you're opening yourself up to demonic activity. See, God doesn't bring his law or his commandments or his statutes to make it hard for you. He's trying to save you from yourself. He's trying to save you from the demonic. He's trying to bless you so that your children and your children's children don't go through the same stuff you're going through. But this is, listen, 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 this is the Corinthian church. And the apostle Paul <laughs> gives further instruction. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand something. This is not a sinner. This is a church member who's sinning. This is a church member. This isn't somebody who's a sinner. This is a member of the church. But notice, and here's what I want you to understand. Notice what most people would say. In fact, most of you would think that here's how we would, here's, if, if I were the Apostle Paul, I'd say, well, let's, let's turn this brother over to God. We're just going to, Father, we're going to pray for this brother. Turn him over to, to Lord, Lord, do. Why would Paul say, deliver such a one over to Satan? Why wouldn't you turn him over to God? John 10, 10 says it this way, because it's the thief that comes, not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have life more abundantly. See, when you are full of life, when you're a life giver, where do you get death from? Where do you get destruction from? Where do you destroy from? Jesus didn't come to destroy. He came to give life. He came to destroy the works of the enemy, but not to destroy people. The thief came to rob, to kill, and destroy. The thief came to curse with calamity. Jesus didn't come to destroy. He's not a destroyer. Satan is the destroyer. So Paul says, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved. Some of you are destroying your flesh. You're being destroyed by sin and the effects of sin. But my hope is that it leads you to the place where you repent 
that God can heal you and that your spirit will be saved. Just tap your neighbor. Say, oh, are you saying judgment comes from my sin and not from God? You see, as long as you think that God is sending disease or sickness or calamity on you for some divine or some supernatural reason or purpose, then that's going to be a hindrance to you receiving your healing. It's going to be, be a hindrance to you from receiving from God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't get it. How can I go to God and ask him to heal me if he's cursing me? How can I go to God and ask him to have mercy and bless the people of Chimanimani if it's really his will to curse them and to destroy them? How can we go and send rescuers to those people if in fact it was God's will to destroy them? If he's judged them for their sin. See, and then somebody will say, well, you know, it's so that people will learn how to repent. The Bible says the goodness of God leads a man to repentance. Let's try to settle this issue this morning. First of all, let's just talk about evil. Evil cannot come down from God. Evil can't come from heaven where God is. Why? Because there's no evil in heaven. Sickness cannot come down from heaven because there's no sickness in heaven. The Bible says that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, no shadow, no turning. If God isn't variable, if God isn't a shadow, if he's not turning, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's constant. So God may permit these things to come, but he doesn't create evil. He doesn't create sickness. He only permits it to come as a result of man's disobedience. So you have to realize there's a vast difference between commission and permission. Now let's get into this. You know, I've heard people trying to sound very, very wise. And here's how they say it. They say it this way. They say, well, maybe God didn't send it. But you know he permitted it. And what they're really saying is they're inferring that he permitted it because he had some purpose in mind behind it. You know, God, God didn't actually do it, but he permitted it, which is in a way of him actually doing it and causing something to happen in your life so he can get your attention. Well, now just because God permits something doesn't mean that he has a purpose in it. Do you know why he permits it? You know why God permits some of these things? Because a lot of times there's nothing he can do about it. Oh, I hear somebody say, yeah, but God is sovereign. He's all powerful. He can do anything he wants to. So then why doesn't he make you pay your tithes? Why, let me ask you, if God is all power, if he can do anything he wants to, anytime he wants to, can God lie? See, we get things mixed up. There are a lot of things God wants for people to do, but they won't do it. I don't know about you, but all of us can relate to telling a small child 
not to touch a hot stove or not to put their little finger in a light socket or to take a piece of steel or something and put it in the light socket. Have you, have you, have, how many of you have ever had children or grandchildren? The other day I had little Sethi at our house. He was messing around with one of the sockets. And I said, don't, don't touch that. And you know how they get, they kind of look at you like. <laughs> I, said, I said, don't touch that. Don't, don't play with that. And his fingers going closer. So I walk over and I go, I smacked his little hand. His, his eyes got this. He couldn't believe, first of all, that's the first time grandpa had ever. I said, don't touch that. He burst into tears. I mean, I broke his little heart. Grandpa should never have to spank his grandchildren, right? No, I just didn't want him to get hurt. Amen? I warned him. I said, that'll shock you. Or you tell your little child, don't put your hand on the hot plate. It'll burn you. But, you know... You can't be there all the time. So you turn your back and you get busy doing something else. And all of a sudden you hear this blood-curdling scream. And you turn around and there he's either burned himself or he shocked himself. Now I'm sure that that little child learned not to touch the hot stove. Or he learned how not to put his finger or, or something into the pl plug socket, that electrical socket. But I'm also sure of this. That wasn't your way of trying to teach the child, was it? How many, of you, how many of you sat there and you see him doing it and you say, oh, oh, oh come here, come here, come here. <laughs> watch this. <laughs> oh, man, watch this, watch this. He's going to touch the hot plate. Man, every kid needs to learn this lesson. Let me tell you something. Woo! Oh, now watch what happens here. Oh, let's watch this, hey. How many of you would do that? <laughs> oh, man. I, oh, I can't wait to see what happens here. Uh, you got to learn that lesson. Oh, look at this one over here. He's going to put that. Oh, he's taking a butter knife and he's going to put it in that socket. Oh, you watch what this happens. Boom, this thing is going to. Oh, I, but you know, every kid has to learn that lesson. How many of you do that? You perverse thing, you. <laughs> no, there's nobody that wants their kids to get hurt. Nobody would desire to see their child get shocked or burned. That's not God's way of teaching us either. I mean, sure, we can learn some things. But what if I was to come to you and ask you, why did you permit your child to do that? Did you have some purpose in permitting your child to burn themselves or shock themselves? No, no, you permitted the child to do it because you couldn't do anything about it. You didn't even know what was going to go on in that little child's head. You didn't know he was going to do it. If you had known, you would have spanked him again. You would have stopped him. You would have done anything to keep him from doing that. Let me tell you something. God only permits sickness to come, but it's really not his will. It's not his purpose. His will is for you to walk in his statutes, to obey his commandments. And he says, and I will take sickness from the midst of you. I'll take sickness away from the midst of thee. So sickness came as a result of man's disobedience. Yes, it was Adam's disobedience. He's the one that brought the original sin, that brought the fall of mankind and the fall of the world. 
but it was through disobedience. The key to the difficulty of understanding these Old Testament scriptures is, lies in the fact that the active verb in the Hebrew has been translated in the causative sense or tense instead of the permissive tense. And that permissive tense does not exist in English. The literal translation of the Hebrew of Exodus 15, 26 is this. I will permit to be put upon thee none of the diseases which I permitted to be brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. See, how can he be the Lord that curses thee and puts sickness on you and be the Lord that healeth you at the same time? Some people think that God made Job sick. You know, if you read the book of Job. But Job is a very peculiar book. We see that the, 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 the kind of the cover gets peeled back. We get to see behind the veil. And we see that it wasn't God at all. But that the accuser of the brethren, that the devil would stand before God and accuse Job. And God said, you can touch him. You can touch him. You can't kill him. And Job comes and takes everything from him. Takes his sick, takes his health, takes his family, takes it. I mean, the, I mean, the, the, the devil comes and takes everything. But we see it wasn't God. But God's giving us a little glimpse into something. Job is the first book of the Bible. If you if you if you look at it, it, was, it would be chronologically the first book in the Bible. God made covenants with men. He made a covenant with Abraham. How many know Abraham did lots of sinful things? But what was God's covenant with him? I will bless you. And God blessed Abraham because of covenant, even though Abraham was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, because God's a God of covenant. God made a covenant with Moses. It was based on statutes and promises. Guess what? God honored his covenant, even though the children of Israel didn't. And it was because of their sinfulness that they didn't enter into the promised land. Not because of God, judgment. It was their sinfulness. And they opened themselves up to the destruction of the enemy. The devil does these things. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. What was the good that Jesus went about doing? Healing. Delivering. Setting people free from the oppression of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. Jesus is the healer. Satan is the oppressor. Nowhere in the New Testament do you find that God put sickness on anyone. Never. Never. You'll never see God cause calamity on someone either. When God commanded Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he sends Moses to plead with Pharaoh to release God's people. God didn't want to send plagues on the Egyptian people. It wasn't his plan. But when Pharaoh hardened his heart against God and against Moses, God withdrew his protective hand and permitted the plagues to come and sweep across the Egyptian land. Now, 
let me show you something. Some people think it was unjust for God to do that. But God simply said, okay, listen, I'm going to turn you over to the gods you worship. You worship the God of the flies, the Lord of the flies. That was one of their gods, the Lord of the flies. He says, fine. He says, I've been protecting you until now. My grace has been a mercy. He says, I'm just going to remove my, my mercy. He says, let your God serve you now. Let me tell you, false gods always exact their toll. This false god swept through the country with flies. It flies in your food, flies in your nostrils, flies in your ears, flies in your bedroom, flies, 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 until you were sick of your god. But if that wasn't enough, then I'll turn you over to the river god. The god that turns the river and the waters into blood. And he says, let him have control. And he turned every ounce of water into blood. And it stank. Everything was dying. He touched every one of their gods. Until finally, each time Pharaoh would harden his heart. And then God, listen to this. And then it says, God finally, the last plague. He says, I'll let the death angel sweep over Egypt. Now, think about that. Have you ever thought about that? The death angel doesn't come from heaven. How do I know? How do I know that it doesn't come from heaven? Well, first of all, the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that death is an enemy. That would mean that the death angel also is an enemy. I don't believe that there are any enemies in heaven. That's the third heaven where God's throne is. There isn't any death there. So how would God send death from heaven? The problem is that people read the Bible so casually and the scripture and we take it out of context. In fact, the Paul, Paul the apostle told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, study, study. I think this is where we miss it for the most part. I think that most people don't study the Bible very much or they think it says follow. Just follow the teacher, follow somebody. We just seem to follow without ever studying, without ever questioning. I, when I started the church, I've always said this, and I'm going to say it to you. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my preaching for it. Don't listen to these pastors. Go study it for yourself. Be like the Bereans. They were noble. They didn't just follow. They went and looked to see if the scriptures, what it said in the scriptures, if it was true. Go study for yourself. Study to show yourself approved. A workman that need not be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice that. Even the word of truth needs to be rightly divided. Just tap your neighbor. Say, oh, I never saw that. The word of truth even needs to be rightly divided. See, this means that if we don't rightly divide the word of truth, that we're showing ourselves unapproved unto God. We're not approved unto God if we don't rightly divide the word of truth. And I think this is where many Christians fail. This is where we miss it. We fail to rightly divide the word of truth. So when we begin to interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, as with the scriptures that we're mentioning, we begin to see what's really happening. You see, when the final plague of death came upon the Egyptians, that plague didn't come from heaven where God is because there's no death in heaven. If death came from God, then it would be a blessing. It would be a friend to you and I. 
But it's neither a blessing nor did it come from God. The Bible teaches that death is the last enemy that will be put underfoot. When the plague of death was permitted, it caused the firstborn of every household in Egypt that wasn't covered by the blood of a lamb, which was a picture of the lamb, to perish. It wasn't until this plague that Pharaoh was willing to let God's people go. It wasn't God's plan for them, but God permits these things because of man's disobedience, man's rebellion. Where did death come from? Heaven? No. Is there any death in heaven? No. You see, death never entered there. Death will never come from there. There will be no death in heaven. There's only life. We're not going to heaven to be dead. We're going to heaven to live for eternity. Does death come from God? No. Is he the author of death? No. Is the author of life? Yes. See, the Bible teaches us that God hates death. So where does death come from? Well, it comes from Satan. Satan, who has the power of death. Hebrews 2, 14. Open your Bible. Everybody, open your Bible. I want you to circle this ten times. Get your pen, circle it ten times. Well, okay, seven times. That's how many times they went around Jericho? Seven times. Hebrews 2, 14, listen to what it says. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, Jesus also, himself, likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy, that is put to naught, him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now wait, 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 wait. what does it say? Jesus took on flesh and blood like you and I, and through his death, he did it so that he might destroy the one that had the power of death, that is the devil. Who has the power of death? Who destroyed the power of death? See, death is the final enemy that's gonna be put underfoot. Now, it hasn't happened yet in its finality, but the one who has the power of death has been put to naught, the Bible says. The law of sin and death is the devil's law. But the law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. Is that right? Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Guys, we got to get this straight. Where does death come from? It doesn't come from God. I'm going to tell you something. We live under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of sin and death is Satan's law. Agreed? Correct? Amen? God wouldn't want us to be from his, free from his law, would he? So if death was his law, would he want us to be free from it? No. But God does want us to be free from Satan's law, the law of sin and death. So it must be Satan's law. Because God's law is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. See, we have this promise. That when Jesus comes again, at the, the last enemy, which is death, will be put underfoot. Christ came to destroy him that has the power of death. Now, Satan isn't destroyed yet. But he will be put in the bottomless pit when Jesus comes. And then he'll finally be put in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone.
The plagues of death did not come to Egypt. Only, uh, the plagues of death only came to Egypt when God withdrew his hand of protection and permitted it. But let's, let, now let me just close with this. Permission, permission is not to be confused with commission. God permits people to do lots of things. If you want to, he'll permit you to go and rob Nando's on the way home from service this morning. Now, he won't commission you to do that, but he'll permit it. There's a huge difference between permission and commission. Uh, God will permit you to walk, to walk up to somebody right after the service and tell them, I hate your guts. He'll permit that, but he won't commission you to do that. God permits evil, but he doesn't commission it. God permits people to establish porn sites and nightclubs and abortion clinics and all kinds of things and all kinds of places that are wrong or lead to trouble. But he doesn't commission them to do that. He permits people to steal and to kill, but he certainly doesn't commission them to do it. There's a vast difference between permission and commission. Look at this. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter declared, Him have you taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Who took Jesus? It was the devil's work by his own children. John 8, 44, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you're of your father, the devil. These are unborn again people. These people were religious, but they didn't know God. It was the Pharisees who stirred up the high priesthood. It was the devil and his children. It wasn't the work of God that Jesus was crucified, although God permitted it, and he permitted it for a purpose, and in that case, it was that you and I might be saved. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The fact that God permits wickedness does not mean that people have to commit sinful and wicked acts. Any more than it means that people have to turn against Christ. Many people are rejecting Christ today. They're crucifying him afresh. They're trampling his blood under their feet. But God isn't commissioning people to reject him. He just permits them to do so as a matter of their own free will, as a matter of their conscience. It's not God's plan. It's not his purpose to send sickness and disease and calamity upon people. Sickness and disease is here, not because God planned it or willed it or commissioned it. It's here, as John Alexander Dowie once said, he was quoted as saying this. He says, sickness and disease is here as the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and its mother's sin. Let me say it again. Sickness and disease is here as the foul offspring of its father, Satan, and its mother's sin. These are all things sent from the enemy to destroy you and I. You and I fell heir to sin because of Adam's sin at the beginning of the human race. But thanks be to God, to the second Adam, the last man, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who came to redeem us from the curse, 
who came to redeem us from sin, sickness, disease, and death. So you and I need to renew our minds to rid ourselves from this blockage or this hindrance if we're going to receive divine healing or if we're going to receive proper understanding of who God is. Now, I know that there are a lot of good people who love the Lord, but they carry the traditions of men or they haven't really studied the Bible or they've been warped by some kind of a doctrine that twists the scriptures. They will tell you the things that they believe, like God will put sickness on you to teach you a lesson. You know, even the logic of that doesn't make sense to me. It's not in the Bible. But think about it. If God is using sickness to teach us, think about this. If you really believe that, that that cancer or that disease is from God, shouldn't we come and agree with you that, hey, God give you a double portion of it so you really learn that lesson? God, you sent this sickness to teach her a lesson. Father, we agree that you give her double sickness, give her double cancer, so she really learns this lesson. Guys, I don't know. I think it sounds evil to me. Doesn't make sense. The Bible tells us we need to rightly divide the word of truth. One of the great questions that most people ask when they find themselves sick on their sick bed or in the hospital or they always ask this question, God, did you make me sick? Did you make me sick? Often, and I have to say this, that some sickness God permits because of sin. And I'm sorry, you can't eat the whole sugar bowl And not suffer. You can't keep drinking alcohol in the quantities that you're drinking and not suffer. There's a side effect. Now, God is permitting you. God doesn't want you sick. He wants you well. He wants you to have self-control. He wants you to have enough common sense to come in out of the rain. Some people are sick and often we have things that are passed down generation, generationally because of the sins of our parents. That's why we have breaking the bonds of iniquity. That's why God wants us to pray that we can stop these things in our past. The Bible calls it iniquity, the sins of the parents, the sins of the fathers. But God doesn't commission sickness. He doesn't commission disease. We bring a lot of things, a lot of hurts, a lot of ills on ourselves and upon our children that God never intended because of our sins. Listen to this. Even the earth, these catastrophes and things like that. Somebody says, yes, God made, you know, we call them acts of God. They're not acts of God. They're maybe acts of nature, the way that the earth is made. They may even have a demonic influence behind them sometimes because we saw that Satan stirred up the Sea of Galilee one time. But listen to what this says. In Romans, it says, verse 21, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole of creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what man seeth, what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? What he's saying is, he says the whole earth is groaning, is groaning, waiting for the redemption, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The whole earth is groaning. What are we waiting for? Well, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's going to come a day of judgment. But in the meantime, the earth is groaning. The earth is spewing out its inhabitants. The Bible says that where there's so much sin, even the earth spews out. The earth, once it gets enough bloodshed, speaks. The blood speaks. We have to understand something. that Some of these things are caused by the amount of sinfulness. Many have the people, many people have this idea. No, so I was saying that, uh, I was saying earlier that a lot of the sickness and disease and, the, and things come because of the sins that we've committed or that our parents have committed. Do you remember Jesus one time he went and he found a man in the temple that he'd healed and then he turned to him and he said, go and sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Why, why would he say that? Why would he say, hey, stop sinning lest something worse come upon you? See, many people have the idea somehow that God is sovereign, that he's responsible for everything. We call it the Doris Day Doctrine. She sang a song called, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And that's kind of how some people feel about God. Hey, whatever God wants to do, he can do, however he wants to do it. It's everything, everything that happens is God. Have you ever heard somebody at a funeral say, oh, I just want to pluck, God, God came down from heaven, had to pluck that little life. He needed a flower in heaven. Are you kidding me? God needs nothing. Are you coming, he, you're telling me that you want me to believe that he came down and took a baby because he needed a flower in heaven? That is, that is absurd, first of all. Secondly, it is such, a, 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 such a, 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 an attack against the character of my God. It's ridiculous. No wonder people walk around and say, well, God only takes the best. God doesn't take anybody. The thief comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. But these people have this idea that God is doing everything, that whatever happens is God, that God is the judge, God's the this, God's everything. They forget there's a devil. But let me tell you something, God is sovereign. But that doesn't mean he's responsible for everything. He isn't responsible for the wars and the killings. He's not responsible for women being raped and killed, children dying and bombs being detonated. He isn't responsible for all of that. Greedy and selfish men that are following the devil are responsible. God is not responsible for the evil, the sickness, the disease, and the deformity of little children. He never planned it that way. He never planned that men should be deformed. I heard somebody say, well, God didn't commission it, but he permitted it, and they imply that God has some mysterious purpose in sickness, in disease, in letting calamity happen, or disease, or, or some kind of issue happen. Can I tell you something? I can't accept that. I will never accept that, because the God I serve is the God of life, the God of liberty, the God of peace, the God of grace. 
God commands you and I, he says, I ask you to be holy as I am holy. He says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He even commands us to live by the fruit of the spirit. Now, if you and I are supposed to be full of love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, goodness, temperance, kindness, against such there is no law. How on earth can he command us to do that, yet he's full of evil, darkness, calamity, sickness? That's not the nature of God, nor of his children, nor of his children. Today, I just feel like there have been so many people lied to. So much of this false doctrine has gone out. God's going to get you. God's not in judgment right now. God is in grace mode. God, listen, listen, listen. Tonight, you want to come, I'm going to pick this up tonight, and I'm going to talk to you about where we're at. But let me, take, let me give you a little hint. God has given to you and I a ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to go out and tell the world that God's not mad. God wants to be restored. God, we're, we're supposed to put our hand on God and our hand on men and bring them together in the name of Jesus. There's a great mediator. Jesus has paid the price. He's not judging, but there will be a judgment day. There's coming a judgment day, folks. I'm sorry. There will be a judgment day. It's not now, but it's coming. Jesus will return with 10,000 of his saints. He's going to judge the world. The goats will be on one side, the sheep on another. The goats are going to be cast in the fire because they didn't receive Christ. They'll be judged for eternity. The sheep are going to be judged, each and every one of you, for the words you spoke and the deeds you did. And you'll be rewarded accordingly. Father, we thank you. It's 11 o'clock. Our time is up. We ask you, Lord, that you would continue to reveal, unfold to our eyes the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe you're a good God, that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, no shadow, and no turning. Would you please, Lord, today, assure us, let every man, woman, and child that is in this house leave, being assured and blessed that you're such a good God, that you would not put any of these diseases upon your people that you would not bring calamity, as so many have said, upon your people. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Now, wherever you're at today, you may have never wanted to come to God because you thought he was this evil God going to hit you over the head with a baseball bat the next time you made a mistake. He's a good God. He loves you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to quickly find a way to get to the altar here. Our pastors are going to come. They're going to be at the altar. Some of you just need to say, hey, you know what, God? I've had a wrong opinion of you. I, I've, I thought you were evil. I thought you did evil to people. Would you forgive me? Would you? Some of you need just to repent. You need to say it out loud. Say, God, forgive me for my view of you. I'm wrong in Jesus' name. Just say it. Say, I'm wrong. Let's all stand. Those of you that need to find a place at the altar just to deal with your heart, I'll tell you, sometimes I just... Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.